to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan, a reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360 Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Liu, and I'm joined in the studio by Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com. Big V, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. Uh... It's not as summery this week, but still getting out yeah, as much as I you're can. You're fully in a hoodie, man. Well, Alex specifically asked me to wear this. Why? Because <laughs> he likes it. <laughs> We're dressing according to Alex now, huh? This is all right. Well, listen, um, it's it's a shame that Alex isn't here um, because I know, I know this would have been a really fun uh, conversation. Basically, this recre- this would recreate the 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 radio booth, the SBA booth, yeah. Yeah, that we sit at um, in the media gondola in the 600 level uh, where we have a small room um, with only three chairs. And usually, obviously, me and Alex are sitting side by side. And then you're usually in that third chair. Sometimes it rotates. You know, mm-hmm. Cash is there sometimes. Basil's there sometimes. Um, Savannah was, was with us in game six. Um, we juggle the energy. Yeah, yeah, Depending yeah. on what's working. But most likely you're there. And... Um, Good times in that booth, man. We've had some it. great times in that booth. Yeah. Well, wild times, I would say. <laughs> very, very wild reactions in that booth. But look, we're all professionals, and we're all here to cover the Raptors uh, with a sense of passion, which I think that, uh, you know, it's something that links the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we don't really have to beat around the bush too much because there's actually a lot of Raptors news to sort of cover. So we can kind of go around and do it. I think the major thing that came out today... Uh, which was already hinted at, I believe, by Mike Scotto um, about a week back, is that the Raptors plan to offer Fred VanVleet uh, an extension worth up to $114 million over four years. This was also reported today by Jake Fisher. Um, now, I think this will be contingent on... So Fred is under contract next year, no options, nothing like that, for $21 million in the 2022-2023 season. After that, he has a player option worth about $22 million. He can decline that now and then assign that extension. And essentially, that extension will cover from the 2023-24 season through the 2026-2027 season. Um, uh, an extension of $114 million over four years would probably start about $25 million the first year and end up around 32 in the last year of the deal. Uh, Vivek, let me just get your thoughts on that first off. is uh, Does that sound right to you? Is this the right time to do it? Um, you know, and, and is Fred the kind of guy to invest uh, that significant amount of money into? I do think uh, it's the right time. I think okay. when you look at Fred, the season he's had, obviously there's some disappointment in the second half with the injury. Yep. But at the end of the day, you've seen the way he's grown since he's joined this organization. You expect that to continue in the years to come. Uh, age-wise, I feel like there's more still left in the tank. Uh, in terms of his growth and development as a player. He's obviously the vocal leader of this franchise Mm -hmm. and is the heart and soul of this franchise. And so establishing that for several years to come, uh, if it goes through, is really important and sets the franchise in a good place. And then, you know, let's face it, those relationships that he has uh, with Pascal Siakam, uh, he's been an important part of Scotty Barnes' growth as well. He's talked many times about pushing him to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, having all of those things in place helps too. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I actually have no doubt that Fred is the type of person and also, um, 
you know, the type of leader that you would want in your organization. Because I think that that's the stuff that um, isn't covered so much when you, like, open a player's page on Basketball Reference, you know? Right. Um, now, I think there might be a little bit more question in terms of the type of player, just based on um, what we have seen in playoffs past in terms of as a lead option. Does he generate enough offense for you? Can he stay healthy enough for you in the playoffs? I think these are questions that are worth asking. Um, but oddly enough, even though the contract is, would be $114 million over four years, which is a ton of money, objectively, um, mm-hmm. in relative terms, it could be a lot less. And the reason for that is this. So it's already been reported today that the salary cap for next season uh, will be up to $123 million. Currently, right now, it's at 112. So that's already like a 10% jump, right? Mm-hmm. Right away. Now, the big jump that's actually going to happen will be starting the 2025 season because, okay, and I was just, and I was just double checking because I remember reading about this, but, um, you know, I had to go and double check. So the current TV deal, which makes up the bulk of like the salary cap, right? Because um, players get half essentially, of all the basketball-related revenue, and this is, like, the bulk of basketball-related revenue, is their current TV deal with ESPN and TNT. It's worth $24 billion, this current one that's lasting about nine years, and it'll carry you through the 2024 season. Starting 2025, the reports here, and I'm reading one from Jabari Young of CNBC, suggests that the next TV deal could be um, $75 million? Or seventy nine million, sorry, uh, a billion um, in the in the deal. So what you're what you're looking at is like you're looking at a salary cap that probably starts at one hundred and seventy one million, right? Roughly. Now let's say it doesn't jump in entirely. Maybe they do the cap smoothing. Maybe it's like one hundred and sixty. Maybe even it's one hundred and fifty. At that point, though, when you're looking at a contract that's like twenty five million, all of a sudden your percentage of the cap that you're eating up for one player jumps from like right now maybe like a quarter of the cap down to like about a fifth of the cap. And as the, as you know, if, if there is no smoothing, it could be something even as little as like 15, 16% of the cap. Right. And for me at that number, I'm just like, are you willing to give Fred Van Vliet 16% of your salary cap, let alone like you go, most teams go above the salary cap. So first off, it's really about the tax line, but. Um, Considering that the max, the absolute max is 35%. You yes. pretty much be at half. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, you're going to see uh, $300 million contracts being signed very soon. You're going to see contracts that are $60 million per year very soon. In fact, you're already seeing a lot of it. You, like You're almost there. <laughs> yeah, Westbrook just picked up his uh, his player option for $47 million. Yep. And obviously, he's not going to get that going forward. But there will be players who will be signing in that 50 to $60 million per year range. And if you're telling me that you're signing Fred for 30 yeah, I think that's a good deal. Like, I actually think almost... You could pretty much sign any quality player to an extension if you're pos- if you're capable of doing so, and it will make a lot of sense just based on how the economics are going to change. Again, it, this TV deal is going from twenty five billion over seven years to about seventy five billion. No, that's significant. I mean, the last time there was a cap spike, you had Kevin Durant join the Warriors. Exactly so. right. So we'll see. If they're smoothing and stuff. I think. I mean, the the league owners last time were just like, no, let's just spend it. The players are definitely like, let's just spend the money. Right. But at the same time... Bismack um, Biombo was definitely like, spend the money. Man. <laughs> Good for Bismack Biombo, though, man. You Great see, for him. Do you see him this the story this this past year where he um, inst- he forgoed his entire salary? Oh, yeah. Towards building a hospital yeah. um, in in, uh, in the DRC? Like, that's... He's a good man. He's a good He's man. He's an amazing man. Yeah. yeah. 
and uh, you know, he's someone's father. And oh, <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, uh, times. great times in Toronto. Uh, unforgettable performances in the playoffs. Yeah, he he uh, he matched one of Hakeem's records, I think, for rebounding. The rebounding. Yeah, that's that, impressive, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure you know that means a lot to him, uh, to be on a list with Hakeem. Yeah, and you know, go go for Bismack, go get that money, and mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, that Suns run couldn't go past that second round this time. But Man. we'll see where he ends up. Uh, okay, by the way, um, I know we're taking a tangent because we're really talking about Fred. Somehow we're on <laughs> 2016, which again was a really great time. Honestly, the the second best run. Playoff run uh, in, in franchise history. Summer 16 was a time. It was incredible. Um, beating the Heat in Game 7. Oh, my God. Uh, the celebrations at that point. The streets were wild. The streets were literally wild. Um, Fred Van Vliet. Fred Van Vliet, the contract. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think in terms of the economics alone, if we're just going back to this conversation, like the, the economics alone, like this is, it's not a no-brainer in the sense that like, I think you still have to be a little bit concerned. I think you still have to think about, okay, is is there injury that might play into this? You know, it's still a lot of money. But at the same time, based on the type of person that he is, the the quality of player, even if he tops out at what he is this year, which, by the way, was a very, very good player, made the all-star team and everything like that, um, I think the deal is worth it. And I think from Fred's perspective, I, I wanted to ask you that too. It's just like, what do you think – he's thinking because Fred's also a businessman. He's not, he's, you know, he's very well aware of everything. He literally has a business podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think he's amenable to something like this? Do you think the security of this is like something where he looks at it as like, okay, look, I might be taking maybe less money in the long run because he might sign two deals and the second deal might be worth more than this deal. Or do you think of it as like 114 million is 114 million. And if I can secure that right now, I'm going to do it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that nine-figure contract, when you see it on paper, that's, just, <laughs> that's a hard thing that's, that's more to say we'll no to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And so I think with Fred Van Vliet, um, you know, he's a businessman, but I think he's also a practical man. Yep. That's why we call him Steady Freddy. Okay. And I think, you know, in terms of paying for future growth, which is what you're doing sometimes in these contracts, I think Fred will understand that that's probably a fair estimation in terms of the four years to come. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I think he would be amenable to that. And then, you know, you you think about someone like uh, Jalen Brunson, the the money that he sort of projected at, right? You would say that it's a fair deal for Fred in yeah. terms of the intangibles he brings, in terms of the skill he brings on the court on both ends of the floor, mm-hmm. uh, his shooting, how valuable that is to the Raptors as a volume shooter uh, on this roster. Uh, I think it's an extremely fair deal, and you expect him to continue to get better. Uh, that's what he said in terms of what's next, right? Like a year ago, he might have said, hey, I want to make the all-star team. I want to make the all-defensive. Obviously, the latter didn't happen. He was very close. Um, but at the end-of-season interview, he said, I want to be known as a championship team point guard. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so he's going to do whatever he has to do to get there. Uh, in terms of the positives that we saw uh, this season, um, I think there was a, a bit of a quicker release in terms of getting off his three. 
Yep. Um, and I think he worked on that mid-range as well. Now, he wasn't able to create the separation to get to the mid-range once he was suffering from the injury. Mm-hmm. And I think that took away a fair chunk. And again, you know, when, when he wasn't able to knock down the, the three, he was only at 29% after the All-Star break. That also is going to have defenders change how they perceive you, right? And maybe not give you as much respect as when you were knocking down 38 to 40%. Yep. And so I think those things took away uh, from how we might look at Fred on the whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that's the version that you can get come postseason, then he's well worth it. Yeah, um, I agree. And again, because the cap will go up so much, I think he's worth it regardless. You right. know what I'm saying? And um, But I'm saying he's worth it right now. I agree. I agree. That's the thing, too. It's like I, I actually don't want to take anything from what he's become because I think this past season was very significant for him. Um, this extension would cover him from age 29 to 33. So I think it's fair to ask, like, how would his game age mm-hmm. over that time? Now, we're seeing a lot of players' primes, like, last quite long. Like, I, I, th- I think you're essentially getting his very, very best years. Mm-hmm. You're already getting his best years right now. I think he entered his prime this past season um, at 27, and it's going to carry him to his 33. Obviously, there's still one more year remaining on his deal next season on his current deal. But do you have any concerns long-term? Or, or at least long-term in the sense of, like, through age 33? I think on some level you have to be a bit wary of his injury history. Okay. And in what sense though? Cuz he hasn't really he hasn't undergone surgery. Right. He hasn't had any like major recurring injuries. It's not like it's not like Derrick Rose with his ankle all the time. Yeah. You know, like but, kind of yeah. but that's the thing, right? It seems like every season there's some type of nick or knack or bruise or something yeah, that fair. he's dealing with. Fair. Um and at his size, uh it can be limiting. And so when you look at how limiting this injury was, for example, something that he didn't end up needing surgery for, just rest and recovery. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, it shows that, you know, when he takes a blow, you know, maybe it impacts him uh, a certain way. And so I think on some level you have that concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other side of that is how do you manage his minutes better going forward? Because the last two seasons you have asked a lot out of him. Yep. He's been the league leader, and then among the league leaders uh, in minutes per game. And so I feel like with Fred, you've got to be really watchful of that going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of his role going forward, I feel like as Scotty gets more comfortable, you're going to put the ball more in his, his hands. Fred is going to be in a role where he's more comfortable playing off ball, catching shoots, all of that. Uh, obviously, we've seen Point Pascal. And so uh, I think that is going to make the transition for him easier as well as he ages. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And I, I think um, you do have to get him a good backup at some point. Yes. Like, I don't even mean, like, backup. Like, he Fred runs point guard for, like, 32 minutes. Then someone comes in and runs point for, like, 12 minutes. You know, and because I, I think, like, you can have, like, Scotty run point or, or Pascal run point. The part that, of Fred that you need a backup for is someone who can actually come in, handle the ball, but that's more secondary, but, like, be able to shoot. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's almost like I'd rather have like a combo guard come in and be his backup because I can trust that a play can be set up by by Pascal or by Scotty, especially nowadays in the NBA. Like 
plays aren't set up in the way that like a point guard brings the ball down the floor, then he inputs the ball into the post, then he cuts and sets a screen that flares out to the wing, and then there's like option A to B and C. Like it's not that structured anymore. It's but it's more like in a more basic sense, who generates an advantage, who draws a double team, and then you play out of that double team. And obviously I know Pascal and Scotty, especially with a little bit more experience for Scotty, like they're going to be generating uh, advantages and, and and mismatches and drawing more double teams than any backup point guard would normally give you. However, when you take Fred off the floor, all of a sudden you can see double teams or even triple teams on these guys because there's not enough shooting around them. So that's where I think you need the backup is like a, 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 a someone who can at least replace the shooting element of Fred's game. Now, of course, Fred has really become an elite shooter. Yeah. So you're probably not gonna get that in full, but uh, it would be nice to to have that portion. And um, no, yeah. you you need a volume shooter, like unquestionably. Yes. And I think that's what you need to get with a mid level exception. However, as I covered with Blake yesterday, I don't know about you, man, but the MLE targets are just they're so underwhelming. I don't know, they're they're, they're so so underwhelming at times. Because you know, the first one, I was like, okay, Blake, you know, he, he texted me the night before. He's like, well, you know, what do you want to do? So I texted him back. I was like, look, let's do mid-level exception targets. Just give me three, right? And then I figured, well, I should prepare like six. So just in case he takes the exact same three off mm-hmm. my list, I have more. The first guy he hits me with is Ricky Rubio. So yeah. I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> all right, man. It's like, But like, it, it's nothing against Blake. It was just like mid-level ex- uh, exception type of signings, especially this season, are just underwhelming. But um, Well, l- let me ask you this. Yeah. You know, we talk about a backup guard, but... What if, because of all the wings you have, mm-hmm. you're able to put yourself in position where you get that stretch big and everyone just slides down a position? Okay, that's interesting. Just to, you know, find solutions in different areas, right? And I think if you have Scotty playing the point, if you have Pascal playing the point, then, you know, say theoretically, you know, Precious would become comfortable like playing the four, Right, and you get that stretch big, or you get a stretch four, whatever it is. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, then maybe there is another solution there. I, I, I don't know if it necessarily has to be uh, a guard if you've got, you know, the capabilities of Scotty and Pascal. That's fair. And I think there's maybe some creativity that, you know, Nick Nurse is well renowned for leading into if he has to. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing with. First off, the stretch big idea is, is is really clever, and I think it really allows you to maintain the size and the advantage. The only thing with that is just like I feel like for a lot of stretch bigs, um, in terms of their shooting ability, they're not able to move and shoot the way a guard can. I feel like guards, there's definitely more guards with the ability to catch coming off a screen or even just like relocating and things like that. I feel like stretch bigs are usually like someone has come help off off of them and then you kick it out to like Brooke Lopez who has his feet stand still and mm-hmm. he shoots the three. And like a lot of big silence, they do that. But I think that's the missing element where it's just like that slight versatility of the ability to, to still shoot. But then again, I also like, I'm not picky. <laughs> so that's fine with me. Like, you know, I, I think that that's a fine idea. And um, yeah, I mean, in terms of building the team, like that's the only thing too is just like, I, I remember um, this question being asked a lot to Masai um, at the season ending press conference was just like, you know, your whole team is 6'9 athletes, mm-hmm. but then you have Fred. What makes Fred, you know, exceptional? Or what, what makes him the exception in this case and how you build your roster? And, of course, it seems like the Raptors want to continue having Fred on the team, which is no surprise to anybody. And do you remember Masai's response? We will win in Toronto. 
<laughs> it's about winning. It's, it's about, about winning. winning. Exactly. About <laughs> developing and winning. And we have to take time to evaluate. Um, no, do you remember his response, though, about Fred? He, he said he's a winner. Yeah. Right. It's all about winning. Yeah. And, and he said yeah. he has a lot of heart. Yeah. That's it. He's like, you can't. Heart. Yeah. You know, 114 million for heart, though. I have that. I mean, you're paying for a lot more than heart. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, speaking of heart, this is a what, what a transition. Wow. Um, so, okay. So, there's some more like fallout from like the OG and OB trade that did not happen. Uh, again, I don't think it was that close. I mean, again, like there was that clip. I don't know if you were there for that interview or that scrum or leading up to draft. They made uh, assistant GM Dan Tolzman available to speak to the media. Now, he doesn't speak to the media that often, at least uh, in an official setting. Yeah, but, I was there. You know, and then at the end of that scrum, I think uh, Michael Grange of Sportsnet asked him, uh, you think you get another OG Ananobi at seven, right? Which was hinting at the idea that the Raptors have been linked to flipping OG to Portland for the seventh pick, which ultimately went to Shane Sharp. And uh, yeah, I mean, you were there. Describe the scene. What do you say? It's going to be hard. <laughs> so like just based on that, and by the way, that was public. Like that was, it, it's, you know, sometimes because like, again, in a scrum setting, right? Well, I thought the scrum was over. <laughs> I almost walked away. I'm pretty then. sure the scrum was supposed to be over, right? But usually there's a scrum, the media and the, the cameras are turned on, the mic is turned on, he takes the first question and you ask your questions and then it's over. But there's always like a breakaway period yep. where some people are still turning off their cameras, some people are, you know, because, you know, whatever. There's a lot of buttons to hit, whatever, right? And then there might be a little bit of chatter afterwards. In fact, there almost always is, right? Like now it's like unofficially off the record, guys are starting to move away. And... In that period, a lot of the times you ask things. Like, I remember even after Masai's press conference when, you know, he was reintroduced, um, you know, Masai came off the podium after speaking for, uh, for about 45 minutes, and then he walked over to us and the reporters, and then we can kind of continue to chat in an informal way, right? About I think, soccer. I think, yeah, you and I were there, because everyone else was like, what are you going to do with Goran Dragic? What are you going to do with this and this and this? And you and I walked up to him and we're like, Masai, there was an EPL team that chased you, right? And then, <laughs> and then we were like, what's your, what's your team? And, of course, he said he was a United fan, which is a little unfortunate. But I'm not surprised. It's very unfortunate these days. Well, okay, all right. I forget that you're a United fan, but you just hate the team so much these days. I get it, though. Um, you're not excited about Frankie de Jong? I guess I'll ask you at the end of the show. <laughs> Look, as a Dutch fan, I feel like he's making a career mistake. Oh, damn. God damn. <laughs> like, I feel bad for him. But, uh, I mean, it'll make watching United better. Are they going to play him as the defensive midfielder? Because that's what you guys need. I mean, yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, we'll get back to this. We'll get back to this. But, yeah, anyway, so that's that's the usual scrum, right? Like, you have the official portion, and then you have, like, a walkaway portion. The walkaway portion was published by the Toronto Raptors media account. Like, the the, so, the social team, I don't know what it was the situation, but that little after conversation, because as you mentioned, you thought the scrum was over, that, that conversation from OG, that was left in. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't even there. I was in, like, Alberta, and I, I was still watching the scrums because I'm a sicko, so I'm still watching a Dan <laughs> Tolzman scrum, even though I'm in Banff and looking at mountains and water and all that stuff, and bears. I ran into a lot of bears. But... Wow. Um, I was watching it and I was like, why is this in? So I clipped it and I posted it and everything and it, whatever. But anyway, so there's some there's some uh, follow-up talk. So we already knew that the Raptors, if they were going to get this deal and probably seemed like Portland was very interested, they were going to use number seven. Uh, they were going to use probably Josh Hart's contract, which his option was ultimately picked up. So he's going to stay with Portland at least this year unless he's moved again. Um, but HP Basketball 
um, also adds that the Raptors wanted a future first as well. So essentially, like, it's the same framework of the deal, but with a future first. Um, Obviously, the deal did not get made. Would that have been enough for you, for OG? Just a future pick? I think only if he was truly unhappy. Okay. I think if he, for whatever reason, well, based on the reports being his role, if he is privately unhappy, then that is something that I would look at and consider. Like but, if he came to the front office that like, I don't see a future for me here, that's going to be best for me. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Which clearly didn't happen, by the yeah. way, because OG was like the day of the draft in the gym at OVO uh, in Toronto working with Scotty and Pascal. Yeah. So there's nothing to suggest that. Yeah. And yeah. we've seen what Scotty has said about those rumors. And so I feel like with OG, you know, I've been on here before and said, like, I rank him, like, I power rank him third in terms of the core after Scotty and Pascal in terms of how valuable he is to this franchise. So you're talking about Fred's fourth? Yeah. But you're giving him $114 million? Yeah. I guess the the cap going up is such a cheat code. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. But, you know, Fred is also, in terms of thirty-two million in 2027. In terms of leadership, he's also clear number one. Yeah. No, but 32 million. That's one thing. 32 million in 2027, if the cap is 170 million, is actually what a fourth option would be paid. Yeah. So, damn, I should I think, have been an NBA player. <laughs> so close. <laughs> uh, I took the wrong choice. How's that nurse pill coming along? You know what's funny? I should, so um, my my cousin who's uh, is turning seventeen this summer, uh, she played basketball for a school team, actually for Jeremy Lin's high school because she oh, actually wow. lives in the same area in Palo Alto. Um, so um, yeah, so she plays basketball, and. I told her at one point I made 30 straight free throws and she was like blown away. And I told her it was because of this Nick Nurse book that I bought, the Nick Nurse a Book of Shooting, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure you could still publish or purchase from his foundation website. Um, and the money goes towards a good cause. So I was very happy to pay, even though it was quite expensive, but it's okay. <laughs> Paid it. Um, got the book. It's about 50 pages. I have to say, it's like 50 pages in the sense that like, you know, when you write a book report in school, <laughs> and you got to hit, like, a page count. Like, they're like, hey, man, the, the, the teacher tells you, like, I need you to write 10 pages on um, Macbeth and the, the I don't know, all the pathetic fallacies or whatever, right? right. You, you know, something that happens in, in, high, in high school where you're like, I don't care about this at all. Yeah. Um, you got to write 10 pages, mm-hmm. right? And then sometimes, you know, you're like, You got to okay, get creative. You, you not only do you double space, you go, like, 2.25 space, right? And then you change the font from, like, 12 size to, like, 15.5 did you did you also cite extra sources to like reduce sure. the yeah, size yeah, of the page yeah, yeah. yeah all that stuff you know what i'm saying like you, you you page break a little bit higher than you're supposed to right that's how the book was written there might have been i'm not even kidding in that 50 page book first off the last 20 pages are like empty spreadsheets for you to track your progress so you're looking at 30 pages and in that 30 pages might be 600 words <laughs> i'm not even kidding man there's some diagrams in there too but it was very helpful so I knew I passed oh, yeah. on that book. So it's, it's better than the Nick Nurse pill because I, I think you could probably draw a straight line on your basketball if you needed to instead of paying. But uh, that book is actually very valuable. And so I passed it on to my cousin this past Nick week. was just being efficient with the book. He said all Very efficient. Yeah, very efficient. But again, it's a charitable cause. And I actually do highly recommend the book, jokes aside. Yeah. I was just like, I was, I was kind of like, I sat down one, one night and I was like, I'm going to read this book. And then like 45 minutes later... <laughs> 
I was already playing basketball, <laughs> having read the book. <laughs> Come on the show, Nick Nurse, please. No, seriously, I really want him to sign this book eventually. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think this would have been enough for OG still, I think. I, you know what it is for me? is like, number one, um, you're seeing the value of wings go up so much these days that even if OG's individual game doesn't improve, which I think it will continue to improve. In fact, I think it showed improvements last year, but there were so many injuries and sort of setbacks and his role kind of shifted all that stuff. Like, it didn't look like that in the overall. But having seen how good he is at three-point shooting nowadays, and I know I always talk about the warm-up things, his three-point shooting has just taken a, a huge step. And I really do think with a healthy season, you're going to see that. We're going to look at a guy who's shooting eight threes a game, hitting 40%. I have no doubt about this, actually. Um, but even if his individual skill set doesn't increase, the value of wings relative to all other positions has increased so much. You look at this draft, basically no point guards and no centers drafted in the first round. Everybody drafted in the first round was a wing. Like, I'm not even kidding. It might be like 25 out of 30. Yeah. So just based on that alone, OG's value is going to continue to rise. So I, this would not have been enough for me. Still. I mean, at worst, he's what? Top three at what he does in this league? In terms of three and D skill sets. Yeah. Like, you debate like him, Mikhail Bridges. Like, yep. he's right there, yep. right? And so, um, I feel like with OG, there's a lot more to be gained with him. Um, in terms of the role, uh, I think I think he's had opportunities. Mm-hmm. He had it at the start of the season uh, when Pascal was out. He had that fun 36-point performance against the Knicks. Yep. Uh, they show what he can do in the playoffs. Again, with injuries, he showed what he can do uh, playing off Pascal. Uh, and so I think, you know, you would look at those performances and say, yeah, there's maybe room for more opportunities for him within the offense. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of it is almost to challenge OG and say, hey, the opportunity is there. Go take it. Yeah. Right? Like there was a time where you were starting – and Fred and Pascal were part of the bench mob. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and that's true. Everything that they've gotten, they've taken. So. Yeah. And that's how, the, honestly, that's how the league works. Like, even with a guy like Fred, Fred's like a great example of this. Fred wasn't given anything, man. Like, if, if Fred ultimately signs this extension, which I think is actually quite likely, and I think the Raptors will likely offer it, I think Fred will likely sign. Um, you're looking at a guy who was undrafted, obviously, um, well, Kent was a four-year senior. We've both stood beside him. He's 5'11 or six feet, like, max. Yep. Max. I'm not, I'm not even trying to make fun of him. Like, I just think that, like, again, you can look up photos of me sitting beside him. I'm six foot two, and he's, like, he's so he's 5'11, six foot, right? I feel like photos of you sitting next to people is a bit deceptive. It, it's true, actually. You, you, I actually you have sat short, next I, to Chris Boucher, and I thought... <laughs> yeah, you're right. I have short legs, and I have a, a very long torso. But I, regardless, I've stood standing up beside him, and I am, I am taller than him, right? But the point is, he wasn't given anything. When he entered the league, he was, what, given a training camp deal for the Raptors? A lot of players got training... Like, four guys a year get training camp deals for the Raptors. He not only makes the team, makes the team as the fourth-string point guard. And in this short amount of time in his career, has made an all-star team, has won an NBA championship, has already signed the biggest contract for an undrafted player ever, and it's, he's going to break that again. He's just going to keep breaking his own record in that sense. And, uh, yeah, but the thing is, 
you take your opportunities in life. And if you're good enough, you will get those on the Raptors. Like, the Raptors are very willing to let you go ahead and take those. So I think for OG, it's like, you know, it's right there for you. You have peers who are a few years ahead of you who have the exact same trajectory. And so it's coming for him. But uh, I don't think he was unhappy, and I don't think that uh, this mm-hmm. deal was that close. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break. I'm your host, Wayne You've been listening to The Raptors Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I continue to be joined by Vivek Jacob, and uh, we are talking about the Raptors and what they might do this offseason. Um... So, speaking to that, actually, there is still lingering reports of the Raptors um, chasing centers, in, in particular with uh, uh, DeAndre Ayton. This also comes from Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report that, you know, the Raptors could still be somebody that or- orchestrates a sign-in trade. It would have to be a sign-in trade um, because the Raptors don't have that much cap space at all. DeAndre Ayton's another guy that's going to be paid the max. Um and, um, of course, he's restricted. But, of course, if you orchestrate a signing trade, uh, which does seem to be also Phoenix's ideal out for him because I don't think Phoenix wants him back. But I think Phoenix is in a position where they can't let him walk away for nothing. A signing trade would make sense. I think, I mean, you got to figure a signing trade for DeAndre Ayton will at minimum cost you Gary Trent. And, honestly, if it's just Gary Trent, then you probably do it. But most likely it'll probably cost you OG. Mm-hmm. Instead, um, is that something you're willing to entertain? Not only giving up OG in this kind of sign-and-trade for DeAndre Ayton to sort of balance out the roster, uh, but also that you're willing to pay Ayton $30 million starting next year. Yeah, I'm probably against it. I think when you look at Ayton, part of his unhappiness is the fact that he wants a bigger role. He wants to be able to post up more and get those opportunities. Mm. Um I could see, you know, opportunities for that in Phoenix where they could have maybe just done it a little bit more. Um, but in terms of the way Toronto wants to play, I just don't see that happening. Especially, you know, Nick Nurse has already said that uh, this season already went kind of away from the shot spectrum that he prefers. Mm. And going forward, he's probably going to get it back towards where he likes it in terms of, you know, being right around the basket and and threes and getting to the free throw line. So uh, I think those pick and pop opportunities as well, you know, that's not something that would be really malleable with the way the Raptors play right mm-hmm. now. And yeah. so uh, at least, you know, in comparison to OG, in terms of the way OG fits, wh- which style would you rather have? Uh, the pieces involved um, in terms of what Phoenix would look for, I don't think there's really a deal to be found. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know in the first segment we were talking, I, I kept coming back to the point that if the cap's going to jump that much or the cap's going to keep rising that much, um, which is not an if, by the way, they're going to sign a new TV deal and it's yep. going to be very expensive. Um, then Fred's contract, even regardless of any sort of continued improvement or even if he sustains this level, is like probably going to be worth it no matter what. Um I don't know if that applies to Aiden. I don't know if that applies to centers in general. I, I think that the philosophy now is like you have to get like us, like 
If it's not Embiid or Jokic, maybe Cat. And we know Aiden is none of those things. Then should you be investing that much money into that position? I agree. Yeah. Um, now, I think what you're seeing in the long term is that, like, there's also another style of center coming. Um, I'm not going to pretend to be a draft expert by any means, but if you have eyes and you have seen Victor Wambayama, mm-hmm. that style of center is going to come in. I think uh, Chet Holmgren is another guy who f- is kind of that style. I think uh, Wemby is, like, just so much bigger. Um, but you never know. I think Chet, obviously, is, is a very good player, good enough to be taken number two. That style of center will eventually come into uh, effect, like an Evan Mobley style center, right? And maybe those type of centers will be worth the max as well, just because of their versatility, their mobility, and they can shoot and all that other stuff. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. What style of center is DeAndre Aiden? Um, I mean, I think he ideally wants to be a bit more traditional, a bit more old school, where he gets those post-up opportunities and his okay. majority... Uh, of his opportunities coming right around the basket. Um, He is someone that can pick and pop a little bit. We saw, you know, when you play that drop coverage, he's happy to, you know, punish you from the Mm -hmm. mid-range. And then, you know, defensively, I would say he's solid. I I wouldn't say he's great. I wouldn't say he's bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, Within the Raptors schemes, would he be uh, able to, you know, just on a dime change to a different scheme? You know, we, we know Nick Nurse loves to just all of a sudden go box one to man to triangle into whatever it may be. Yep. Is he someone that, that can show that, pos- that you know, scheme versatility? Uh, I'd probably have doubts about that. Okay. And so that's where I'd leave him at. What about you? Yeah, I think you're describing it very accurately. I think, um, I don't know. Okay, look, there's two, the the reason I'm kind of conflicted on Aiden is because I saw, not this past playoff run, because, like, I don't think anybody in Phoenix uh, covered themselves in glory. I think uh, somehow, even though Chris Paul had such a bad game seven, somehow Aiden became the bigger story. I I think he might have had an even worse one because he refused to go in the game and all this stuff. And then we're talking about, like, you know, those it was personal or like there was some like it's private or whatever conversation that um, that uh, Monty Williams talked about and how he only played him 17 minutes or something like that. The, the plus before that, though, man, like the, the run where Phoenix got to the finals and he actually had taken two games off of uh, Milwaukee. I mean, that's where you look at it. You're like, OK, a guy who can give you some of these types of performances, right, where against the Lakers, he was like 21 and 16 then 22 and 10 then 22 and 11 then 14 and 17. And, you know, second round against Denver, 20 and 10, you know, um, you should just look at some of these performances, 24 and 14 against the Clippers, 19 and 22 against the, the Clippers, you know, some of these games in the, even in the finals, right, 22 and 19 in game one, you know, like. That's the style of production which I just know that most players in the Raptors don't have a chance of even having one or two of those games in a playoff run, let alone, like, all of those coming in the same playoff run. Mm. So, like, that version, I'm like, okay, there is still potential there. I think you got to engage them in a, in a way. I think, obviously, you can really dominate for you on the glass. The mobility is very good for a center. Um, I don't think his defense, like, his um, production has matched his 
tools or abilities, yeah, skill set nearly the way that I think it should. Um, but I also wonder, like, so if you open up his page and you look at his numbers from four years, he averaged 16 and 10 as a rookie with two assists. This past season, he averaged 17 and 10 with 1.5 assists. And this is four years. And pretty much all four years, the numbers are the same. Now, his efficiency has gone up. He went from a 58% shooter to now up to a 63% shooter, which I'm like, that's great. You play with Chris Paul. You play with Devin Booker. You play with shooters everywhere. You should be shooting that percentage. Mm-hmm. right? And he is a very efficient finisher. Um, but I still do wonder. Like, So the thing is, like, he doesn't space the floor. So far, defensively, he hasn't really caught up. You might say, well, bigs take a longer time to, to get it you know, into that uh, effectiveness in terms of defensively, that's fine. But, you know, I still see a lot of situations. And I think Phoenix saw a lot of situations. They're like, I might rather have Bismack on the floor for defense. Right. And look, Bismack is a very good defender. Like, there's not even anything against him. But if you're if you're four years into the league and you're getting pulled for offense, defense for Bismack Biombo, like, I still do wonder, like, what's going on ideal. there, right? Um, and to your earlier point yeah. about you know, devoting money to the center position. Mm-hmm. I was trying to pull up this tweet. Uh, friend of NBA Twitter uh, analyst, uh, Micah Adams, he put this out after the championship. Starting centers on NBA champions the last several years. Okay. Kavon Looney. Yep. Brooke Lopez. Yep. Dwight Howard. Okay. Uh, a 34, 35-year-old Marcus All. Yep. JaVale McGee. Tristan Thompson. Andrew Bogut, Tiago Splitter. Mm. So. I, I feel like you can keep going because I thought, well, who was Miami starting at center? <laughs> like Joel Anthony is going to get there right. real quickly. Yeah. 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 We can keep going. So. Tyson Chandler before that. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, that kind of makes the point or sells the point that you were making about devoting that amount of money to the center position. Yeah. And, you know, unless you have. And Embiid or Jokic, who, again, we have not seen in the NBA Finals. Yeah. Uh, then it's going to be tough to devote that level of money, play this style of basketball in this era, mm-hmm. right? And win at that level. Yeah. And I think the bigger question for me that I also have is, like, who's going to shoot on this team, man? If you give... <laughs> so, like, I think we're all pretty on, on board with, like, eventually giving Pascal an extension as well, right? Yeah. We know the main thing Pascal does uh, does is not three-point shooting. He does so many great things, but three-point shooting is, like, four or five down the list, right? Mm-hmm. And he can continue to get better as a shooter, but it's not like he's going to come back to next season and become Kevin Durant. Although, if he did, that'd be amazing, right? We'd be talking about championships. But, um, you know, Gary may or may not be re-signed. We'll see. Fred, obviously, will be extended. You know, OG will stick around. I get it, right? You have three shooters on the team, just like you had last year. If you put Aiton into this mix, first off, you're basically blocking any chance of Precious getting into the starting five. Now, of course, you know, Aiton is a much more accomplished player than Precious so far. You might just say you have a better player. That's not a problem. That's fine. Um, but you're just investing a ton of money into positions where they can't shoot. And I think the, the, the way the three-point shooting is now involved is like, so... Everyone knows at the rim, you could probably expect like 60% shooting, maybe 65% shooting. The rim is so valuable, right? But the thing is, the rim doesn't move. It's just there. It's all that everyone knows where you're going to go. It's right there. And of course, you could put as much pressure on the rim as you want, and teams will guard the rim as hard as possible. 
But the way guys are shooting the three so effectively now, obviously you look at Steph. What makes Steph really difficult is all of a sudden you got to guard the rim, which is still very valuable. But anywhere Steph shoots from is also basically the basket. So you got to protect Steph wherever <laughs> shooting from as if that is the basket. Yeah. So now all of a sudden you just think about it. Like you, you go from one spot where everyone knows you're going to score at to like a whole line of like infinite spots, I would say, where you people can shoot from, right? And that's where the three-point shot is just changing the game. You're now guarding essentially like money more versions of just the rim. And I think the Raptors have lots of rim pressure. That's the thing. If you get DeAndre in, you're really trying to put pressure on the rim, right? Scotty puts pressure on the rim. Pascal puts pressure on the rim. Even Fred, when he drives... He pulls enough defenders and then he kicks out. But that pressure on the rim is what allows him to actually play make and, and record seven or eight assists per game. Um, I think we have enough rim protection or rim pressure, at least, offensively for me. And, and the thing for me is just like where you got to balance it out is you got to put more three-point shooting on the team. Because yeah. it's just going to keep going in that direction. No, 100%. And so that's where I'm like, I don't even know if I I, I just want – like long-term thinking wise, right? Like, okay, so you have a center. It does prevent having like Pascal or Scotty playing center, which I don't think either of them really want to do, even like short-term. But you no, know, they'll do it because they have to, right? Um, Scotty's going to be running, um, you know, point for you sometimes being a point forward. Pascal's going to be doing that for you. Fred's going to be shooting. Like, I just don't, I want to use the rest of that money on more shooters necessarily than than more of a traditional center. Again, like, I mean, the that's, the other part of it, right, is like if you are doing some type of deal for Aiton, not only is he a non-shooter, you're likely giving up one of your shooters. Yes. Right. Yes. So you're just like let's say OG goes out in this yeah, deal. You're flat out getting worse as a shooting team. And you're you're down to two shooters. Yeah. You're like, do you really want to see the Raptors play every game shooting 35 threes and making seven? Because <laughs> that's what's gonna happen, man. I'm yeah. not saying the Raptors will shoot 20% for three like whole season, but that will like that's honestly a very common occurrence already. Yeah. So I think you do need to see more shooting. And of course, I guess you can develop the most a little bit, but I mean, I don't know. Aiden's has taken 56 threes in four years. Yeah. And, so. and and I think even in terms of, you know, uh, some people might argue, oh, there, there's maybe other pieces that you could get back from Phoenix that address that. No, it's like part of Phoenix's weakness when they lost to Dallas was they could not match up with Dallas's level of three-point shooting at all. Yeah. Like, they are a good three-point shooting team percentage-wise. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the balance of their offense, they don't take a lot of threes. Right. So they don't really have any volume shooters outside of Devin Booker. Yeah. And I promise you, you're not getting DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, well, I guess this is part of the podcast where... I will give you an option because we have two minutes left. We can either hear your thoughts on Christian Coloco, hear your thoughts on a mid-level exception target, or we can talk two minutes about what's gone on in, in soccer. You know what? Let's uh, stay away from Manchester United. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. What are your uh, thoughts? Liverpool spending uh, all this money on, on, on Darwin Nunez. Um, you know, Erling Holland obviously joining City. Um, the number nine is back. The number the top nine clubs. is back. Yep. I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I kind of miss seeing number nines. Like, as much as I like seeing Pacey Winger score, obviously Liverpool was, like, the classic example of that. Uh, and obviously Mane leaving is breaking my heart. But um, I don't know. I miss number nines, man. I just miss a skilled number nine, the ability to feed them the ball, 
for him to turn, uses use some strength, obviously attacking the air, but just the ability to turn, maybe you make a run at a guy. I miss that kind of player. There's just there's very few of those nowadays. What do you think uh, Harry Kane is thinking? You know, tried to force his way to City last year, and now obviously that's not going to happen with Holland. That's I mean, listen, man. It's yeah, I think I think there are certain types of players and athletes who are just like are good with being like a, a big fish in a small pond, and that's not I mean. But he tried to, to leave this. Yeah, I know, but he literally tried like, to force his way to City and. Does ben he look Levy unhappy like, on a day-to-day level, no. though? He's not, like, tanking his own performances. Like, he's still playing a really well I mean, well he level. tried to at the beginning of the season. Remember, he didn't show up. Yeah. And then Levy was just like, no, you're on contract. I'm just... How old is he now? That's a good question. Is he, like, 28, 29? I mean, like, I, I understand, like, athletes have longer problems. He's 28. Yeah, okay. He'll be turning 29 at the end just of next stay, month. Just stay at Spurs. Like, try to challenge for the goals record. You know, you got a good thing with Son, like... It's true. Sometimes you gotta be happy where you are, you know. Like, where, what's 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 Harry Kane's NBA comp? Just like a really good player stays with the organization, probably not gonna win a championship. Damian Lillard. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, just put out reports of like, you know. Uh, by the way, just by the way, is there is there no soccer put out equivalent photoshops of, of yourself and <laughs> like of Kevin Durant? Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, is there a soccer equivalent of clutch? Soccer equivalent of clutch. You know, like an organization that's able to like corral all their influences together and, and and make things happen. I mean... On a coaching level, on a front office level. R.I.P. Mino Raiola was like... Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, he mostly just got his players paid, though. Like, that's that's a different thing than much like building teams, that, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, yeah. No, that's true. That's fair. Okay. That's what that's what Clutch has got to do next. Rich Paul, he's already got the Adele connection, you know? Make it happen. Expand <laughs> into, in, into the U.K. and Europe at large. But... Uh, yeah, that does it for us today. I'm your host, Will Lou. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sports 590 The Fan. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review our show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks once again to Vivek Jacob, our board producer, Derek Brandale, and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. I will be back to talk to you all tomorrow. Peace.